Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Hello and welcome to the following on podcast from Talk Sport. I'm John Norman and we are... Just over a week away from the first ball being delivered at the start of the first test between India and England. It's going to be brought to you exclusively on TalkSport 2 and on the TalkSport Cricket YouTube channel. So set your alarms for 4am if you're in the UK and uh, well, you'll probably be at work if you're listening in India. Our team should be familiar to you by now. There's Goffey, Bumble, Harmy, Bats, Tudes, um, or in the spirit of radio, uh, Darren Goff, David Lloyd, Steve Harmison, Gareth Batty and Alex Tudor. Phoebe Graham uh, will also be with us and uh, they will be helped along the way by Neil Manthorpe, Andrew McKenna, Harsha Bogley and uh, Chaita Narilla. And uh, I might even pop up on occasion as well. But the build-up starts here, really. A lovely little interview uh, with the former England spinner Monty Panasar, a man who, unlike every other player in the England squad, does have experience of winning a series in India. Not that he's part of the English squad, but uh, you get where I'm going. Monty, though, being Monty, well, the interview spirals off into some pretty strange areas. Uh, He talks about his dreams of becoming a TV host. Yep. Uh, Why he was given the nickname Monty. Yep. And just what is the Monty channel all about? So sit back and enjoy as I talk with the former England spinner and Ashes winner and man who starred in India in 2012. It's Monty Panesar. Have you always been Monty? I think I have, you know, most of my life. I think um, I pretty much loved cricket. I'd always just ask, you know, everyone before I played, you know, international cricket, what is it like being, you know, playing at the top level? Any overseas player will come, like myself and Mike Hussey, we would just bowl, bowl hours and hours to him in the net. 
and he used to bat all the time. So I used to always, you know, um, be close to the people who really loved the game of cricket. But Mont, but the the nickname Monty. How do your parents call you Monty? Do your family call you Monty? Have you been Monty since you were? Yeah, a kid? I was Monty since like two, like a little baby, really, two, three year old. You know, my auntie said, "Well, I should give him a nickname called Monty." And then since then, they've just used to call me Monty, not my by my real name. And then uh, you know, when you're like in a in a cricket environment, uh, everyone just says, "What's your name?" or "Do you have a nickname?" or says Monty. Um, little did I know, Monty's a very sort of famous, you know, British name, isn't it? Everyone, everyone yeah, yeah. Um, so Montgomery, exactly. You know, and there's a lot, a lot of pets named after me in 2006. So uh, yeah, I, I didn't realise how Monty Panasa, the name, you know, would be like a very big sort of, you know, name. Tell, tell me about the Monty Panasa that we don't see. I mean, how do, you, who is that person? I think he's a type of person who, you know, um, like I remember, you know, before a game, I'll try and, um, you know, work work on, on my mental skills, trying to be mentally strong by, um, you know, do it like, 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 like reading was one, one way of, you know, developing patience in my game. Um, what kind of reading? Just any, any type, yeah, any, any type of reading, but just reading. So when you read a book, you know, the first five, ten minutes, you're a bit agitated, you can't get into it. But once you get into the book, by reading, it helps you to develop patience within yourself. And that patience then goes onto the field where you have to take wickets, you have to be patient, not, you know, think you're going to get wicket every ball. And that, the kind of, you know, cor- correlation, you'd say, is... Is patience something you struggled with as a kid? I mean, how were you at school? Yeah, like, yeah, at, at, you know, at school, I was probably... You know, I like my science subjects. You know, I was quite good at maths. You know, one plus one equals two. That makes sense. But then maybe English literature or English itself, history, all the sort of art subjects, they were a little bit... I probably wasn't so good at them. Um, but now it's quite funny. Now I'm, I'm, I'm more like moving towards that side of, you know, uh, the subjects and, and, you know, like reading, writing. Um, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So how... So Monty, you know, you've had a hard week playing cricket or a hard week at work and you've got the weekend off, we've got Friday night. How do you kick back? I mean, you, you Netflix, do you binge watch, do you read? I mean, do you socialise? I mean, who's, <laughs> where's that person? Because we see the... Yeah. And I've always seen the cricketer and you appear here and left, right and centre on different, you know, media outlets. But when it's just you, I mean, the family, I mean... how. What's that person? Yeah, yeah. Look, look. I, I have my own. I have, I have my own pet dog called Rambo. So he needs to. He, he normally goes for a walk at half six. You know, oh, really? in the evening. I don't know how he works out the time. That you know, it's time for a walk. Spend time with my family. You know, uh, we tend to sort of you know uh, either watch a Netflix series together. You know, with, with my brothers and sisters, um, uh, and uh, you know, like famous one. You know, we watched together was like House of Cards you know, Black Mirror, um, you know, a few of the other, you know, sort of ones which everyone talks about. Um, and sometimes movies as well, you know, just sit there, watch movies. Got, I've got like a couple of nieces as well. You know, the family come over, we all sort of catch up together. And if there's a, like a, a, a birthday celebration or a party or a get together, then I'm out on a Friday night with mates, you know, we're celebrating, doing something. So, you know, I try and balance it all together, you know, time for friends, time for family, um, uh, but yeah, that's the kind of person I am. Um, 
of all the questions I wanted to ask you, and there's loads, is, but one that I, I can't, can't quite work out where to put it in the interview. I'm just going to ask it. But what is the Monty Channel all about? Well, the Monty Channel started off by a, a guy called Peter Lamb, who, you know, used to work in Channel 9 as a producer in Australia. And then he's moved over to England. And he just wanted to create a digital, like, you know, channels. And he kind of asked me over LinkedIn, you know, do you want to try something like this? where you can just update stuff, update yeah. and see what the viewership is like. And when we had over, you know, uh, during the COVID uh, period, it was like a nice way for me to like do fitness videos, to do other things, to do cricket updates, talk about cricket all around the world. And uh, that was a nice way to engage with the audiences. I didn't know that the fans loved it. They wanted more and more of that kind of content. So that's how it kind of created, you know, and uh, so I've just... Kind of kept on going with it, um, but uh, yeah, it's it's kind of like I haven't done a video for a, lot, a while at the moment. But let's see. Your my favourite one was one when you were lifting the chairs. Yes, that was. A... <laughs> I mean, if if the viewers haven't seen it, it's quite. It's like, well, here's Monty just going through a workout in his house. Exactly, because people were at home. Yeah, didn't, yeah. Didn't want to, didn't... It was lockdown. It was lockdown, and uh, this was one way. Everyone's got a couch at home. And you can just do leg press over it, you know, something completely different. So they really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. Just And then I used my, my dog Rambo, you know, yeah. to do some squats, to do bicep curls and all of that. So, yeah, so it's a lot of fun, you know, creating, trying to be creative with my content. What, um, what was it like to go from a relatively unknown cricketer to suddenly, you know, you, you, you were burst onto the international scene and... You know, you're suddenly playing cricket for England. And not only are you playing cricket for England very well, there are people in the crowd that are dressing up like you, that wear masks and beard, fake beards and, you know, all the get-up. <laughs> how, from a men- just mentally, how, how difficult was that? Or was it, did you just kind of take it all in your stride? Yeah, look, at the start, I, when I played for England, I was just like thinking, I just want to, you know, live my dream you know, try and get the best players out, win games for my country. And that was it. I didn't really thought that in the crowd there'd be people with fake beard masks on, you know, trying to sort of, you know, that kind of Monty mania was, you know, growing a lot. But uh, I gradually learned how to take it under my stride, you know, by the way I saw, you know, the way that Kevin Peterson, Andrew Flintoff, who, who were the big players in our team at the time, how they, you know, responded to it, signing autographs, taking pictures. It's something that just then comes with the territory once you play for England. So that's what I tried to do as much as I could. But there were times when I was at a fine leg, I thought, is this for real? Like people with your masks on, you know, a year, a year ago, I was like a university student just finishing my final year exams. And a year later, there's like people with your masks on. So yeah, that, that period accelerated very quickly. I'm going to read out a quick info. This is how the, a description of one of your wickets. Okay. See if you can tell me which one it is. Tossed up, and this one's straightened a bit. The player strides forward to defend, gets hit on the pad, loud appeal, and the umpire is convinced. This is my first test wicket. You tell me. Well, he Is that your answer? Well, Sachin did get out LBW. He did. Like... Sachin Tendulkar is your first test wicket. I mean, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, that's like, you know, like like you say, once in a blue moon, you know, once you, you know, get a first test wicket like that. But that moment kind of like propelled me, you know, into sort of international cricket. Everyone knew, you know, who, who Monty Vanessa was when you get 
the great man out, you know, one of the best players ever. And, I mean, you, and, you used to celebrate your wickets, right? But there must have been some disbelief in there at the same time as the excitement. And can you, can you explain what was going through your mind when, you know, you bowled the ball, the peel, the umpire gives it out? It's pre-DRS, uh, so as soon as the finger's up, that's it. You know the wicket's going. What was it? It was like, you know, I, like when I saw, you know, he's obviously had massive pads. And for me, it was just like, I need to bowl best delivery. Bowl my best delivery to the great man. Hopefully, by end of the game, he'll probably say, yeah, you bowled really well. He probably got 100 or something like that. Do you know what I mean? But to get his wicket, you know, wicket as my first test wicket, I that was something I couldn't believe. It was just complete disbelief. Complete like, oh my God, is this for real? Am I living the dream? Is this really happening? And then when he hit the pad, he gave it out. I never used to celebrate wickets like that. That's when I started to celebrate because it was just a complete, the joy and the happiness of, you know, getting, let's say, Sachin out. But the complete, you know, disbelief with it as well. The complete shock of like, oh my God, this is not really happening, but I'm just going to make the most of this. And then afterwards coming, realising actually, yeah, you know, you did get Sachin to knock her out. But yeah, have you ever spoken to him? Because you got him out a couple of yeah, times. Yeah, I did speak to him. Yeah, like he, he asked the physio, uh, came to the dressing room and he goes, do you want Sachin to sign the ball? I said, oh yeah, I'd love him to sign it. And he goes, once in the blue moon, never again, mate. And he signed that. And then I was like, oh, I, I don't know what, what, what to make of it, really, when he gave it to me. I was like, does that mean I'm never going to get him out again? But I was just happy, you know, you know, he gave me the ball. And then at Lord's, when I got him LB, um, I, I got him to sign the ball. He goes, once in a blue moon comes more, comes more often than I thought. And then he, you know, signed that ball. But that, that's a great man, you know, like very humble man off the field. And, uh, um, you know, that's the great thing about, you know, playing international cricket. You, you're able to sort of, you know, get that sort of level of, uh, um, you know, friendship, camaraderie, you know, with one of the greats of, of the game. And, you know, uh, he certainly is, you know, the best batsman, I would say, ever. And to, to have that moment, you know, with him, it's, that's very special for me. England have won once in India in the best part of 40 years. So what was it about your England side that, man, that, that meant that they could, they could do what so many England sides have failed to do? Yeah, look, I think the batting was very strong. I thought Alistair Cook, you know, his record is up there with like Matthew Hayden in the subcontinent conditions. He was able to bat long periods which, you know, allowed the other batsmen, the likes of Kevin Peterson, to play an attacking innings to score quickly. And that's the key. You know, Jonathan Trott, Ian Bell, they all came in, they scored quickly, while Alistair could, could bat long periods of time. And then we had, you know, obviously the good spinners, myself and Swanee. You know, we were quite good at bowling it quickly and getting the ball to turn. And also the ball, the SG ball, it was the seam was slightly more pronounced and the ball was harder for a longer period of time than the previous tours we were you know, playing uh, against India, the ball will go very soft very quickly. But this time the ball stayed harder for longer. So we were, all, we were always in the game, myself and Swanee. We, and uh, having that combination where we played together at Northlands, it kind of felt like we were playing, you know, together at Northlands at Wantage Road when we were playing at Mumbai, you know, uh, a test match there. Just their memories were just, you know, coming back together, how we used to play together. So, yeah, that's a, it's a combination of having very good batters who can then score quickly and then you've got to back it up with like attacking spinners. And that's why other teams haven't found that combination. That was the last time 
an overseas team, you know, won in India. You played more against India than any other side in Test cricket, 11 times, uh, apart from the sash in wicket, wickets and, of course, the, uh, that series. What are, what are your other standout moments from playing against Yeah, them? I thought, I thought like, Sewag, getting Sewag out early um, at, uh, at Mumbai. You know, I remember I bowled it into his pads. He just ricocheted, hit, hit the off stump. That was a big moment because he can score very quickly. I remember in 2008 at Chennai when they needed, I think, 370 to win on a turning pitch. Um, that was a question mark over, is Monty a match winner or not? And then obviously they found out that, you know, when the when everything's in, in my favour, I wasn't able to, you know, deliver. Um, uh, so it was always, I knew how much of a dangerous player Sewag was. He scored 80 very quickly. Uh, at top of the order, and then afterwards, Sachin and you know Yuvraj uh, uh, scored hundreds. So that was yeah, that, that was a sort of a testing moment for me. You know, on on conditions that were turning, I, I wasn't able to get you know England to the victory line. We've spoken about some of the highlights of your career, and there were many, um, but there were also some low lights. Um, how much did it hurt when Shane Warne said about you and your, your repetition, basically? made a comment that said that essentially you didn't learn. You, you were playing the same game every time you went out onto the field. Yeah, look, I think at the time, I didn't realise that the media would pick it up so much, you know, about variation and, you know, the media making a big issue about, you know, not having a, enough variation in my game. And maybe something like that, you know, Shane Warne, who's obviously, you know, such a big uh, a, a, a big big figure in cricket. Maybe if he, if he had a one-to-one message with me over a poker or a, a margarita pizza... You know, it'd probably been a, a little bit easier for me. But I think, you know, he was speaking the truth. You know, he was always, you know, he always spoke the truth on, on, on the commentary box. And uh, that was up to me how to embrace it. And at the time, I remember Terry, Terry Jenner, he said to me, all you've got to do is shorten that delivery strike. Got nothing else you've got to do. Bowl the same way, but shorten the delivery strike. And then the ball will come out slower. The trajectory will be different. And that's a variation itself. And then sometimes go towards the captain. You know, have a chat with him halfway through the over. That's another variation. Change the field, but bowl the same delivery. You know, he goes, there's many ways of doing it. He goes, you're not, it's not as big as the media making it sound in England. But um, I suppose, you know, he did have a point where I was looking to just get wickets from my stock delivery. If it turned, turned, get him caught at slip. Um, If it skid on, then LBW. Then there, there wasn't any other ways. It was more about me just building pressure and then the batsman trying to make a mistake rather than, you know, finding different ways of getting wickets. Things seem to come quite easily for you at the start of your career. But as Graham Swan's, of course, record got better and better and the pressure started to be put back on you, you know, how difficult was it for you as a, as a person when you found your chances were becoming more limited, you were starting to play less and less for England and, of course, you were having to go back to a county game where um, you were starting to struggle there as well. Yeah, look, I think um, Andrew uh, uh, Andy Flower said to me at the time, he goes, you've got a healthy competition now. You know, Graham Swan, he's a good slip, good catcher. He can bat as well. And, you know, he's bowling well. So, you know, I always felt that even, like, if Swanee, you know, didn't have a great day with the ball, he would always, you know, do well with batting. He was a great slip fielder. Um you know, he had a good camaraderie with the likes of James Anderson, Stuart Broad, especially when he took them slip catches. 
So you kind of felt he was adding more to the team than I was. You know, he could add, uh, you know, through his batting and then his bowling. He once he on once he on on song, you know, he was the best one of the best off spinners in the world. You know, the key with him was he would take first inning wickets, and once he did that, that took a lot of pressure off, you know, uh, uh, the, the seamers. So he became a valuable asset to England, and as he became better and better and better, I knew very quickly that I was always going to be the second spinner, even at my best. You know, uh, I wasn't able to, you know, dislodge Graham Swan because he his all round ability as a cricketer was far greater than uh, what I was going to bring to the table. But how did that? How did you deal with that? Well, I tried to think. I tried to convince myself that I'm going to become an all rounder now. So then I'll go to the nets at Sussex. I'll try and you know try and bat as much many balls as I can. I'll try and field. You know, do extra hard work in the fielding. I think, oh, in the next twelve months. I'm going to become an all-rounder, you know. I'll quickly just accelerate this cricket growth, and I can compete with Graham Swan. And it, I was living in a in a in a you know in a disillusion kind of world where you know that is not going to happen, you know. But that's what that's what ends up, that's what end, you end up doing to get to that place where someone is so far ahead of you. You kind of think, well, you know, I've got to accelerate my batting ability, my fielding. I've got to you know do something and. Instead of facing reality, you know, reality was that I'm all, I'm I'm going to be the second spinner now, you know, in this team. Unless Swanee has a bad day with the ball, you know, over the next six months or so, then maybe I get myself in the team. But you know, he was he was always you know going to be number one. Did you sound sound like you lost sight of yourself in that period? I mean, was there anybody around you that was saying helping you, maybe? trying to show you that that wasn't necessarily going to be the way, you know? Yeah, like when I went to Sussex, you know, I think Michael Yardy was quite good at, you know, good for me. He'll be at slip, just telling me about, you know, what the bat, bat is looking to do. Maybe you can bowl a bit slower to him, bowl a bit quicker to the other one. Um, and then on these slow pitches, you know, instead of bowling, you know, your normal stock delivery, I had to learn how to get wickets um, from a, a different method, you know, and uh, trying to get wickets, you know, either get the batsman coming down the wicket. By the way, I bowled with a bit more flight variation. Uh, sometimes um, try and, you know, um, sort of speak to the, you know, my coach, uh, Mark Robinson, a lot about uh, pitch conditions, about, you know, which end is best for me to, you know, bowl, how to sort of, you know, speak about it, articulate that. Because I think when I first came to the England team, I had Duncan Fletcher, who's very much hands-off kind of coach. So I was able to... F- work things out how how you know I'm going to get wickets but maybe I wasn't good at communicating it and then when Peter Moores came you know as a coach he's very hands-on he always wanted to know what's your process how are you going to do this how are you going to do that and I probably was used to the Duncan Fletcher style of mine where he won't speak to you for three days you just work things out yourself you go out on the field and you just take wickets you know and I think that I, I really enjoyed that rather than the because I, I couldn't really communicate you know I couldn't really put it into words you know what am I doing how, how how am I getting this ball to turn or how am I going to get this batsman out it was more to do with just my gut feeling and my instinct of right what what the batter's doing now or you know maybe his first ball I can I can see that his bottom hand is a bit tight or um, he's a bit nervous because his form isn't great or uh, for example you know I can see he's a big big he's going to be he's a big hitter he's got a wide stance you just this is the natural cues you just pick up. But, you know, once when I was when I just came out of university, you know, you're straight into the England team. 
there is there is that you know the way you've got to uh, speak about your cricket and how you're going to get each batsman out. Like that was a probably bit, quite a big jump for me. Where I think uh, if I had a coach early on, which was very hands on in the England team, maybe I would have learned how to sort of communicate in team meetings, how to say how I'm going to get batsmen out. But Duncan never said a word to me, and he was a great observer. You know, I, I thought to myself, he, he's never watching me. I, I walk under the radar. I'm in a successful team. But he used to always watch me from behind. And I remember him telling me one thing at Lords. He goes, "How? Which end do you think you should bowl from?" I said, "From the media center." You know, with the slope, uh, the ball's going to turn. He goes against the left-handers trying to maybe get them out back pad. He goes, no, I want you to bowl from the pavilion then against the slope. So when the ball turns, it will just straighten and you attack the outside edge. But the batsmen from the subcontinent, they always look to play the ball coming in because you'll get them out, caught slip by getting the outside edge. And that's what happened. You know, I remember getting Sangakara out, uh, Upaltharanga out like that. And then I realized that, wow, you know, Duncan Fletcher is a, is, a, is a very special coach. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including... England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. Let's look ahead then. 20 years from now, you know, you've got your slippers on, the fire's roaring. It's a nice, you've got, you know, Netflix is still going there. You've got, you've got your books. Um, what's, what's Monty Panasar up to? I think he's got his own chat show on primetime TV that competes with, uh, you know, Jonathan Ross and... Uh, uh, I'm sure Jonathan Ross still has. He'll probably be watching my show or Night TV Prime or you know BBC or whatever. Uh, Monty meets you know and have my own chat show. Become one of the best TV presenters, um, you know, at that in 20 years. Okay, time. so who you who would be if you if the head of ITV or the head of uh, News Corp or News UK came to you and said Monty, Piers Morgan is not able to do tonight's show. 
we need someone to fill in. All the guests basically aren't available, but you've got blank canvas, three guests. We can choose anyone in the world in any, doesn't have to be sport. Who would be your three guests on Monty Meets tonight on Talk TV? Yeah. Okay. First one, obviously, uh, will have to be uh, Sachin Tendulkar. Okay. He's, uh, we, we can get him over here. Not... Yeah. And uh, I think um, second one will be uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> what would be your first question to Donald Trump? I would say to him, I read your book about this golf where he inflates everything. So, you know, you can, there's this book I read about Donald Trump okay. where he cheats, you know, in golf. So every golf course is inflated by 10, or 10 times than what the value of that golf course is. Okay. So he's, you know, apparently they say he inflates everything or he's the best golfer at the, by the time he gets to the hotel. He was like, actually, you know, my score was, you know, uh, scratch and stuff like that. So just ask him questions about how did you become so successful by, you know, blagging your way through everything life. <laughs> okay. What would be your second question to Donald Trump? Would be, um, uh, how can, I don't know, he may be president even till then. In 20 years' time, I don't think he will be, but who knows, he could be That's president. That's tonight. It's tonight. You're right. you, you, it's on tonight. So we're going to get Donald Trump on. Yeah, tonight. So, Sachin Tendulkar, yeah. Donald Trump, and who would be the third person? Uh, third person is a really good one, actually. Who could be my third person? Like a... Anyone. Uh, yeah, Beyonce. What would you ask Beyonce? How comes you're still so successful after 30 years of being in the music or 40 years? How, how have you kept yourself so relevant that you are still one of the top uh, music artists in the world? Monty, let's make it happen. Yes, Monty meets. <laughs> thank you very much, Monty. Pleasure, thank you. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.